This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler yeah we're live here we are another spoiler room and tonight we're going to talk about a film that has been growing in popularity over a good couple few months span it's been getting more and more theaters finally got to see it and i wanted to get a group of uh spoiler room crew together to talk about birdman starring michael keaton and emma stone and tonight in the room we have mr gonzarific himself he is in the room andrew Shearer. how are you sir I'm good, Mark. Thank you once again for the gracious invitation. Always happy to be in the in the company of some wonderful uh, critical elite minds. <laughs> and then me. And then, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have you, especially for tonight's movie, because I want to. There's some technical things I'd love to get your perspective on. So glad you could make it tonight. Uh-oh. And then, uh, Paul, how are you doing today, sir? I'm disappointed that I can't watch the pyramid. I have to drive an hour and a half to go see. No, the pyramid. Don't. Don't do no, that. Don't no. do that. Everything I hear is saying it's the worst film of the year. I um, have to review it, though. I, no, you don't. I feel bad because it's not showing at a theater here, and I wanted to use my Lilu Multi Movie Pass just so that I didn't have to pay for it to see it <laughs> so I could pan it, but I can't see it, so we'll have to wait. It's a pyramid uh, scheme. Oh, look <laughs> at that. Woo-hoo. And, of course, in the room tonight, we have Mr. Scott Davis back with us. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, I'm also thrilled to be among such wonderful critical people on a show where I am under no obligation to wear pants. <laughs> well, as long as you get that camera off, we're good. Yeah. And, <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking ahead for you guys. Thank you. I, we we do appreciate that here in the spoiler room. And finally, we have Mr. Tony Estrada back, Tiger Power. Hello, sir. He's, he's busy eating something. Did you bring I'm enough for everyone? Did, did you, you bring, just eat your pants? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, the last piece is for the last one to say I'm Birdman. Oh, okay. But yeah, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me on, Mark. I look forward to doing this. <laughs> cool. Yeah, because uh, I had heard so much about it and all my uh, all the people at We Live Film and everybody's been who've gotten a chance to see this film really saying, oh, it's one of the best they've seen in that. And I'm like, well, it could be overhyped, but it was getting more and more theaters. And it finally showed at a theater 30 minutes away, and I drove there to watch it. And I am so glad I did. It's Birdman. And for those of you not familiar with Birdman, Birdman uh, tells us the story about an actor, uh, Regan, Regan, and uh, played by Michael Keaton. And (laughs) Talk about your casting. And basically, Riggin is a, a washed-up actor who uh, used to play a superhero, a very popular superhero <laughs> in the 90s. But then he faded kind of out of obscurity after he chose not to do another sequel. Well, now he's back, and he wants to do like a last hurrah, makes himself relevant again by holding a play on Broadway. And we get to see the events that lead up to that, how he deals with his family problems, as well as a uh, actor's changing, as well as just his own personal demons, as well as that voice in his head, which is the Birdman still talking to him. Let's first start off with Tony. Your first, imp- your impression after you got done watching Birdman was it worth? Was it? Did it live up to the hype? 
I would actually honestly say it is because I've been reading all these reviews and seeing how much praise this movie get. Um, I, I, I try not to listen to the hype because I feel like if I listen to it, then I'll feel a little let down. So what I'll, what I'll do is that I'll just go into this movie with an open mind saying, this looks interesting. And I got to say, I came out going, wow, this is actually one of the best films I've seen this year. I really love this film. It was original. It was unique. And it was just really something special. Definitely agree. Paul, what about you, sir, after you saw Birdman? Uh, pretty much the same thing. I did not go into it with uh, any hype in mind. I purposely avoided uh, reading any reviews on it. I wanted to see this right out of the, you know, just as it as it was presented to me. Uh, and then I came out of it, and I, I just, I loved it. I loved the acting. I thought the actors were fantastic, uh, especially Ed Norton's hard on. I thought... <laughs> <laughs> that should have got its own credit. It should have gotten its own credit. It's going to get its own nomination. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But saying that, it, it also should it should tell you that this movie had a lot of these like weird jokes in there that oh. was just fantastic. It, it was definitely a definitely creative script. Uh, Mr. Andrew Shearer, what about you, sir? Your impression after you uh, saw Birdman? Oh well, you know, I I'm, I'm also one of the people that avoids, uh, you know, like reading stuff and every and all that stuff to, you know, I don't want any preconceived whatever's when I go in, other than how I feel about the director, how I feel about the actors, stuff like that. My own expectations based on their past whatever. So I knew the concept from seeing the trailer, but that was it. And you know, I saw a preview, so I'm in there by myself with the projectionist. So I don't know anybody that's seen it yet either. So there's no one to tell me, oh God, dude, you're gonna love it. You know? <laughs> uh, I was just blown away. I was absolutely blown away. Couldn't believe it. I mean, it's just, it, to me, an achievement in every possible facet of filmmaking. Excellent. And uh, Scott, what about you? Your first impression after you got done watching Birdman? Yeah, I don't. Re- I'm, I'm like you guys. I don't read reviews uh, okay. until after I see the movie. And then right. Sorry, except for Muppet movies. That's my avidly ex- <laughs> <laughs> devouring any trivia or even rumors about new Muppet stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, it's, it's Muppets. So. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I I, I'm that. sorry to interrupt, but that's I almost lied to you guys. <laughs> that is totally, that is totally understandable. You know, Gonzo's king. Anyway, the um, I was uh, interested in uh, seeing it when this buddy of mine, Sam Graham, actually just posted that he gave it four stars. And this guy doesn't give four stars to anything. The last thing he gave four stars to was uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I said was the best movie of that year. Right. Uh, and so when he, I'm like, dude, I really do have to see this. And, yeah, it's really great. It's really great. It's not quite the number one movie of the year for me so far, but it's damn close. Damn close. And see, me living in Cowhump, Wisconsin, I don't get a huge amount of variety of films. In fact, this week coming up, to tell you what kind of theater we have, they're showing on two screens Exodus when they could be showing some other films that are coming out. But no, two screens get Exodus, and we still have films that have been out for like three weeks on the other screens. So, <laughs> well, that's what, the, that's what we get over here. We have a, a 12 cinema theater that just opened up, but I think that whenever they list those numbers of those cinemas, that's pretty worthless because, yeah, it's 12 cinemas, and it never plays more than five movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, so who gives a crap how many screens you have if three of them are playing Penguins of Madagascar? 
and, and, and freaking Birdman really needs to be on more screens, though I will say that your general movie audience may not get this film. No. Uh, me, personally, when I got done, I was like, wow, now, I, I, like everybody else here, I tried to avoid reviews. I had heard little blips and tried to avoid as much as possible on, on Facebook and that. I knew a little bit about how it was shot, but that was about it. But I went in there. I almost had a private screening. Uh, there were two old couples that showed up just a minute before the credits roll. I'm like, ah, I wanted my own private screening. But when I was done with it, I just took a deep breath, and I'm like, that is what I that's I love indie cinema because it is pretty much indie produced because it's even though Fox Searchlight put it out, it's an indie film. And I'm like, this is why I love it because this is something original. And it's ballsy in a lot of ways. Uh, now, uh, it is. They took a lot of chances. First, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the casting. Now, uh, it was pointed out in an inter Entertainment Weekly article, which I just read about this. They did an interview with Michael Keaton. But they mentioned, and I didn't catch it at first, how it's about a washed-up actor who used to do uh, uh, superhero films before superhero films were cool. And... There's a lot of references to superhero film actors, but there's actually, what, four or five actors in this who have been in superhero franchises. <laughs> yeah, Michael Keaton kind of being the granddaddy of them, and then all these people you get, uh, from other generations that have been in other ones. Yeah. You got Emma Stone in here. She, you know, you got uh, Ed Edward Norton, for yep. crying out loud. You know, when Edward Norton showed up, I'm like, oh, my God, really? Uh, <laughs> Andrew, what did you think about the casting for this film? I mean, it's the way it's it makes it work. I mean, it's the glue that makes the whole thing legit because what you've got is uh, without the cast is just a concept movie, an art movie. You know, you've got this like sort of uh, Enter the Void meets Prairie Home Companion kind of setup, and, and uh, but with uh, with a guy like Keaton, you know. And with Ed Norton and with Emma Stone, like they, it is the ultimately the Birdman is all about the power of these performances on this piece. Because otherwise, it's just like it's 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 uh, it's gimmicky, you know, and it's it's concepty. But uh, in order for it to be to elevate it to what it is, it's all hinges on that casting and like Michael Keaton doing the meta thing for Batman. I mean, the guy walked away from 15 million to do that Schumacher Batman. He just yeah. would not do it. And talk about dodging a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's you know, thankful for that. Yeah, I'm like I'm not one to usually you know to to speak ill of of other movies necessarily, but I think we can all agree that was the worst one out of every Batman ever done. No. And, it's like I'm a Mr. Freeze fan. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I love so, that. So am I. That's why it was Batman and Robin. <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan of Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze. Yeah, yeah, I love all those puns. I should have said instead of a, a Freeze fan, I should have said I'm a fan of puns. You're a fan uh, of puns, yes. But, yeah, uh, um, but, well, uh, but you got a lot in that movie, that's for sure. Yeah, that, that, there's a super cut on YouTube of just Mr. Freeze's puns. <laughs> And I watch it a lot. <laughs> Those are his only lines in the movie, too. That's the only lines he ever has in the film. It's oh. just like mega Schwarzenegger. But anyway, um, sorry, I, I, but no, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Michael Keaton, mm -hmm. and I cannot wait for him to come back. I couldn't wait, because I'm from the 80s, you know? Like, I grew up on Mr. Mom and Beetlejuice and Gung-Ho and all that stuff. Like, uh, and even I love Multiplicity from the 90s. Yeah. I love Michael Keaton. I think he's great. I eat up everything that he's in. I love his What the Fuck episode that he did. I was so stoked for that. 
because Michael, Michael Keaton was on, on top of comedy at one point in the film. Like, he was just the man, you yeah. know, and he has dramatic chops, too, because in, in between all that stuff, you know, you got to remember, like, Robin Williams died, and, you know, he, he gets a lot of accolades for his ability to do drama and comedy equally great, but mm-hmm. I, I also believe that Michael Keaton on this, the, the book, you know, the same coin, the same two sides of the same coin, uh, Michael Keaton also has this great ability, and I, I was so glad not only to see a good comeback role for him, but his what I feel is his greatest role. Yeah. I, I, I will say he's very strong in that, definitely. Hey, uh, Paul, what did you think of the casting, and did you have a favorite performance? Uh, definitely, I uh, thought the casting was great. I think the actors worked really well together. You got uh, Michael Keaton, you got Edward Norton, who were just beautiful together. Uh, you had Michael with Emma, and then you had the two ladies, uh, I think it was Leslie and Laura. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they worked well together. It was just amazing. And then also Zach and Michael. Um, and I think Zach actually surprised me because I'm not normally a big fan of him, uh, but uh, his performance in this movie actually made me think, wow, this guy isn't bad. So I enjoyed his performance. He wasn't, he was great. He wasn't in a role where he was comic relief. It was yeah. a straight mm-hmm. role, actually. I mean, he provided a little humor, but it was natural. It wasn't your normal humor that you see in a Zach Galifianakis role. Thank you for uh, so, being able to pronounce that. I could not. I, I've worked on that. I murder names usually. So, uh, <laughs> And Scott, uh, what did you think of this casting, and did you have a favorite performance? The casting is great. Um, everybody is very good in the film, so I don't want to you know, put any of them out to pasture or anything. Like I think uh, Emma Stone was really great. It's nice to see her do a, com- a dramatic role, rather. Um, it's good to see Ed Norton back on his game again. And... But yeah, I gotta go back to Keaton. Now, I'm um, one of the, you know, we, we on this these shows we kind of have like you know we have some of the younger guys and we have some of the older guys. I'm definitely one of the older guys, and I remember when he was about to play Batman, like when I was a kid, he was about to play Batman. Oh, people were livid. How could you give this part to a comedic actor? I knew already. I was like about I think. 13 years old when this when Batman came mm-hmm. I said no no yep. he can do it he I know he can do it because the last the previous year he did a film that still not enough people have seen and that is a movie called Clean and Sober yes if anybody ever if you have not seen this movie please 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 I've been waiting for my entire adult life for someone to hold this film up and say this is a classic movie why did this not win all the acting oscars all the directing oscars he was amazing in this movie clean and sober and I knew as I said Jesus this guy it's like trust me this guy can do anything <laughs> don't for, don't forget pacific heights Pacific yeah, Heights, well, where he I played I, I a bad guy. Yeah, he's a good bad guy. Yeah. Uh, and he's been good He's been good bad guys in lots of bad movies, I'd like to say. Like, <laughs> uh, I think another one was uh, Desperate Measures, uh, but probably everybody's forgotten about that. He was good in it, but he just wasn't. it wasn't a good movie. But that's his thing. He's either really great in a movie that's really good or he's really great in a movie that's really bad he's never bad (laughs) (laughs) and in this movie this is really one of his best performances yes and i just remember putting in the art in in the uh review i wrote let's see what did i i think i said something like uh 
Keaton has been owed recognition from his peers for decades, and Birdman is the perfect time for him to get it. In case I haven't made myself perfectly clear, Keaton deserves to win the Academy Award for Best Actor, and to pass him by would be a crime. He, that's what I said because I said, come on, guys, enough's enough. We need to give this guy his due. He really has earned this. I mean, through right. blood, sweat, and tears, he's created some amazing performances, and Birdman is one of his best performances yet. So, well, yeah, so- I'm totally on, on the Keaton train for this thing. <laughs> and uh, Tony, uh, what about you, sir? What did you think of the casting and your favorite performance? <clears throat> well, the cast actually think did a really good job. Everyone, you know, they just really gave it their own and just did the best it could be for a very unique script like this. You know, Emma Stone, she was really good here. Um, Edward Norton, it's been really good to see him here, especially since he hasn't been doing much lately. I'm just seeing him in those Wes Anderson movies like Moonrise Kingdom or even yeah. this year's The Grand Budapest Hotel. So it's kind of nice to see, even though he's great in those Wes Anderson movies, it's nice to see him kind of take a break like this, and I hope to see him do more roles because he's been kind of slowing down. But I do agree, Edward Norton, he was awesome. Um, Naomi Watts, she's really good too. Zach Galifianakis, I think he's a good actor. Uh, the role so far that I've liked him in was Dinner for Schmucks, and all the other ones, he, he his character just kind of annoyed me. But he was surprisingly really good here, and that's that's credit to Zach Galifianakis, Galifianakis, how he says last name. <laughs> Galifianakis, that's good. That's yeah. good. Thank you. And then, of course, the one I have to say the best for last is definitely Michael Keaton. And, you know, I didn't have to grow up in the 80s uh, to know how much this guy has done. You know, I've I've grown up with his movies. I have seen Beetlejuice and even some of the modern ones he does, even if they're not that great, he'll still be good in it. Like, he was good in this year's RoboCop remake, in my opinion. And Need for Speed, although I didn't care for that movie, his small role was really great. So Michael Keaton, just like what Scott says, whether he does a bad movie or a good movie, he's always going to give it his all. And and Birdman, he definitely shows why he truly is one of the best actors just working today. And yeah, it's definitely one of the best performances of his career. But I'm going to have to say definitely in terms of my favorite performance, I will say Edward Norton, just every scene with him in it. He steals the show, especially... The one scene where he and Michael Keaton have that little fight, <laughs> fight. on the floor wrestling. I I love that scene. That was one of the funniest moments of the movie. So any scene with Edward Norton, he just kills it. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. The casting was great. Now, a few people haven't gathered uh, with this podcast. We are gushing over the film, and part of the reason I wanted to do this was because to mention why this film is good, we've watched a variety of films over the year, all of us, different, uh, different genres and everything, but this is a film where we all actually agree that it's really good. And for me, yeah, Michael Keaton was it. And actually, I read in the interview in Entertainment Weekly, they didn't write the part specifically for him, but they were hoping really, really badly that he would take the part when they gave it to him. Uh, the director said when he wrote it, he after he got done writing, he's like, wow, you know, it'd be great if we could get Michael Keaton to play it. <laughs> So they offered it, he read it, and, and yeah, he really liked it and had a chance to work with the director, so that's why he picked it. And uh, it just so happened that, you know, it, it's kind of meta for him. But he said personally, uh, 
the character was probably the farthest from what he could relate to ever because people are always coming up to him going, well, how close the character was to you know you in real life? And he's like, not really. <laughs> he's like, he has no regrets. Thank God, you know? They <laughs> have no regrets at all. So it's a really interesting interview if you can catch it in the Entertainment Weekly. I forgot how long ago that came out because um, it was an older issue. Uh, but we just happened to have it. I was like, oh, sweet. So I started reading it. And, uh, yeah, it's really interesting, some insight. Now, what I also loved about this film, besides Michael Keaton's performance, Zach Galifianakis, as we all said, in a role you weren't expecting. And Edward Norton playing a, <laughs> playing a dick with a heart, maybe, <laughs> to put it that way. Uh, you know, what I loved about Edward Norton's roles were the scenes he had with Emma Stone. It was like there were the scenes he had in front of everybody else, but then – you could tell the change he had when he was with the Emma Stone character. And it wasn't just him trying to get in her pants, because he actually didn't at first. You know, I mean, he, he specifies his flaw even in that scene about having a tough time not being on stage to get it up. Uh, which, but it, there were some really great scenes between him and Emma Stone, I thought. And then there's that scene, too. I mean, Emma Stone really does well in this. I think... Uh, she's showing some of her, you know, her diversity and her acting in this. Because then she's got that scene with Michael Keaton as well. What do you guys think of that scene? I mean, uh, where she just unloads on Michael Keaton. I mean, that was a strong performance. What do you What do you guys think of that scene? Are you referring to that the one where she's talking about relevance? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, when she with that that kind of confrontation scene where he he shows up and he finds out she's smoking pot and he pulls the dad. Okay, where is it? Where is it? And she just lays into him. I mean, that, wow. What would you guys think of that scene? Well, you I thought, mean, well, you think at first that that scene is going to be one of these things of, you know, because she is playing a recovering addict uh, just out of rehab and stuff. And, you know, you've seen this thing like it, where if someone catches you with a stash, whether it's, you know, cocaine or pot, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter how what degree it is, they deflect and they get defensive, and they put it on you. And you thought, okay, it's going to be one of those scenes. And then it becomes something else. No, it becomes something where, oh, my God, no, she's being really honest here. And, um, and it's a wonderful scene. As I said, like, I thought really from the early roles that she was doing, I knew she was a really good comic actress. I always kind of had a thought that she might be able to translate that into drama as well. And she does here. I hope she gets more of a chance to later on. Uh, maybe take some dramatic com comedic roles uh, to come, and then hopefully maybe something else, so that she can have a good balance. Because I, I like I like her as an actress. I want her to have a career that's full of staying power. Definitely agree. Uh, anyone else? Uh, Emma Stone's performance, especially in that scene, or just in, in the film? Because I think a lot of people are talking about Keaton and Norton in that, but she solid in this. <laughs> she is. She and she and uh, and um, uh, Emma. Oh god, what's what's who, the the ring? Why am I screwing up her name all of a sudden? It's Naomi like, Watts. Naomi Watts. Naomi yeah. Watts. What yeah. was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> they they jet both girl. are just it's a yeah. Jet girl. <laughs> jet girl, right on. Jet. Yeah, where's where's your black hair, Jet girl? Come on, where are you jet at? <laughs> Uh, they are both just so great, and they can stand toe to toe with the male actors in the movie. And uh, actually, the the other one who plays uh, his uh, there's like a there's a, this, a third woman and I I don't know her name but she's oh I have it I have it I have it it's, she's got this great shot where she's under red light and uh, mm -hmm. she just like just slayed me she was so good and and Andrea Riseborough 
Yeah, I loved her, man. She was so great. But I, Emma Stone in particular, I've always thought she's great. I love the movie Easy A. That's a fantastic movie. Yeah. Um, but when yeah, she's when she's laying him out in that long take, which well, the whole movie's a long take, but you know that one single, the long single uh, that she's got, where she's just talking and talking. Her eyes look like they're just gonna fly right out of her head. You can almost see the barbs, like bullets, hitting this guy in the face coming out of her mouth. I just, uh, it's one of those clips where as you're watching it, you're going like, I can see this in the reel for her nomination on the telecast of the Oscars. Right. Yeah, and it's 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 her scene out of all the films, you know, especially for a film like this, everybody kind of gets their scene, and that you could tell that one really was her. There's one other one that I want to mention in a minute, but uh, I want to get uh, Paul or Tony's. Uh, let's, let's start, with Paul. What do you think of Emma Stone? In this? Um, I thought it was interesting that she was drawing at first, uh, you know, where she was drawing those little lines on the tissue paper, mm-hmm. and it does pan out later on in the in the scene. But I thought the entire scene itself was uh, pretty good. It it was uh, a very dramatic, and then then they ended it kind of comical, where uh, Michael Keaton is you know smoking the <laughs> the joint that he found of hers, and I thought that was it was kind of neat because it was symbolic that he was kind of taking in you know her problems yeah. too for the for once you know. So, well, I also took that as he was thinking about it for a moment, and then he just—that was his one of his what the hell moments, which he has a few of them where he just like, like you know, it takes yeah. a hit, takes a drag, and that doesn't do it properly. He burns his fingers. <laughs> that was old Michael Keaton's uh, physical comedy going. Yes, that. like he he used all everything in, in his arsenal on Birdman. He did definitely. Tony, what about you, sir? Emma uh, Emma Stone. Well, Emma Stone as a whole is definitely really great. Um. <clears throat> the role she has in this one is far more different because the movie she's done, she plays more of the sweet, quirky girl, and she's good in those roles. But in this one, yeah, she was just this. Bro- she was just really broken down. She's um, she's she seems like really confused, and the things that she would tell Michael Keaton, just that one whole scene, all of those words she had to shout in that one long take, the lines she had to remember. I could imagine how hard that was. It was. It was definitely really, it really hit me when she was saying all those things. I had chills coming up on me. I'm like, holy shit, that's deep. Yeah. So yeah, well, that's my take on it. Well, well, and the fact that she's playing, you know, she's his daughter, and she lays that out. That adds that extra level of personal, pull, yeah, uh, you, you know, connection. Now, what I love about it, and I'm going to say this, and this is why one of the things I, I think this film is is truly brilliant is. The way her character and Michael Keaton's character play throughout, it's their button heads, their parent, you know, parent-daughter, you know, they got issues. And then there's the scene that I didn't think would get me, and it was such a simple scene at the very end, and it grabbed my heartstring, and I will admit, for some reason, suddenly I caught myself being a little misty, and I don't happen that often. It's the scene at the end where they're in the bed, and this is the spoiler room, folks, so if you don't really want to know too much... They're in the bed after he had the accident on stage. And all she does, it's just a little thing where she sits there next to him and then she puts her head on his chest and he just puts his hand on her. And that got me because through this whole film, I don't know if it got anyone else. Maybe I was just being sentimental. But through the whole film, you saw them kind of clashing. And then you get that one moment and... I think it's part of the way it was shot. You felt so connected to him that when that happened, it was just a little gesture, but it was enough to like, oh, wow. 
you know, that that one really hit me. Um, am I being too sentimental on that, or did did they set that no. up? No, I'm a I'm a person who uh, cries in movies all the time. I do too. Uh, <laughs> part of that, part of that being that I really feel this stuff in my heart like a true artist, and another part being that I'm an emotional wreck coming off 15 t- just for the first time coming off 15 years of taking antidepressants. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and, but uh, so I cry in movies a lot these days. Um, and um, this, no, it's it, there's these really nice, simple, intimate scenes in this movie like that, just that simple gesture. And I'll even go a little further towards the end because. The whole movie, this whole sense of dread is permeating through the yes. movie. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, God, it's all going to grow so bad and so bad. And it usually does. And But then it always ends on just this slight bit of hope and wonder. It's really special. It's really special, and I think that it, it wound up being one of the most unlikely inspirational stories I've seen it, uh, recently. It, it did, that ending. Uh, we could talk about that ending since uh, you brought it up. I thought it was going to go. I'm like, okay, I see where this is going. I'm I see like, where oh, this God, is going. No. And she looks <laughs> down, and she, she maybe didn't see anything. Then she looks up, and then it plays into question the entire thing because what did you guys think of that scene where they jump through his delusion maybe delusion, and you're thinking, okay, it's his delusion where he's imagining he's hovering and he's imagining he's um, with his mind doing things, and then they end it with that ending, and suddenly it calls into question everything you saw him when he was doing his power things. Andrew, what did you think about that ending? That's the way I wanted it to end. I didn't want him to kill himself. I wanted him to actually have powers, and he fucking did. So awesome. Yes, <laughs> yes, God, yes. Paul, Paul, what about you? Did it did it not end the way you thought it would? Uh, actually, I thought it was going to end after after he basically shoots himself on stage. I'm glad it ended the way it did because I prefer this ending. Uh, and at first, I was like, okay, he he kind of does, but he probably did have powers. But then that whole taxi, you know, the whole yeah. where he's flying around. And then you find out he actually stepped out of a taxi. That was yeah. wonderful. It was like, oh, I guess he really is all a delusion. And then that last scene was like, oh, well, maybe it wasn't a delusion. <laughs> he just caught a taxi on the way. Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe Emma Stone has finally got the delusion. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I love it because it's this one, most beautiful look because she gets this look and she looks down and I'm like, Christ, no, I'm about to, I'm about to say this movie fell apart in the last two seconds of it. Uh, and now I'm like looking at her and like she looks up very slowly and her eyes just go wide yeah. with wonder and awe and she smiles and I was like, cut to black, it's perfect. And it cuts to black. I'm like, yes! <laughs> Tony, what about you, sir? Your, the, your impression of that ending? I actually thought it was really clever. At, at first, I thought it was going to be the whole suicide thing. I'm like, uh, that just seems like too dark, especially for what the film was trying to go for. So yeah. I was gonna, um, I was this close to maybe not liking the ending because I'm going to get the impression <laughs> he was going to die. So... Uh, but because of what actually happened with Emma Stone just raising up her face and smiling, giving you the hint that it's it's actually him flying, you're like, okay, that serves for the ending that the movie doesn't deserve. Don't go the other way around because that just kind of ruins your overall feeling. Go that route and be unique with it. And that's what I loved about the movie because 
the whole time watching this movie, it honestly did have me question, is this all in his head? Is this all reality? And of course, once that ending happened, it, it tells you, oh, that was all actually a reality. So it definitely explained perfectly of what the film was going for. So yeah, well, I really And it doesn't tell you anything too explicit, does it? Is no. It, great? Yeah, it, doesn't. it doesn't say, oh, because he actually did this. No, it just gives you that reaction shot and then leaves you with that just enough for the most cynical audience members out yeah, there yeah. To, to, to go, wait, so... Okay, no, movie's over. You have to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, and I think that's great because it leaves that room for interpretation in your head where you're thinking, like, what did I – did I just see that people really are capable of these things? Right. Or that people that, you know, are – or that our imaginations have power or the power of love or blah, 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 <laughs> whatever you want to put it up as. It didn't explain it to you. No, it didn't lay it on, a, on a big tray for you. You had to do it. It was just enough for you to say, "Hey, wait a minute," and I thought that was just a brilliant touch. It it was it, it was for me too because I got worried, and then I thought about it further and the way she looks and everything. I'm like, okay, there's two ways. We know he didn't jump out and die. Okay, that that much we know. Okay, but whether or not he was actually flying. Or she just came to the realization he just disappeared. Either he crawled on the ledge down further. He may not have flown, but she was happy at the fact that he had hit his big time. He came back, and then he decided to, you know, disappear, maybe. And she just had a great thought about it. You know, I I, I, I took it at that to where, you know, she might not necessarily have seen him flying, literally, but flying... To get deep here, metaphorically. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I know that's a little, maybe a little deep no, for me. I can, but. No, no, it, it, it gives you that. It gives you that thing where it it doesn't tell you for sure, and it, it gives you that room for. And I always and I like vague uh, movie endings like that, and uh, I perhaps like them a little too much. I remember doing a, <laughs> I remember doing a student film of long time ago, probably about, like, back in like ninety seven, ninety eight, and I did the student film for a project in school, and I had everybody coming up to me saying, wow, really liked it. How did it end? <laughs> because it ends on, like, that kind of ambiguity, not as good as this, of course, but, I mean, it ends on the same kind of ambiguity as, like, and I, and I would tell people, they'd say, I'd say, well, that's up to you, and they'd be like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> In other words, you couldn't come up with an ending. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, oh, yeah. That's that's what I love. You know, vague endings are are can be done if done right, and they were done right, right. here. And part of the reason that I think that ending works so well is because of the way this film was shot. Now, I give them I I give them total cojones for the way they shot this film. Now, obviously, it wasn't actually one long take. And there is one really, outside of the two ends where you get the kind of uh, meteor thing, there is one in there where it really obviously is a take. But for the most part, it, it's pretty seamless in how they shot this. Uh, Andrew, what did you think technically about how they went about to approach this film? Well, it was like my one thing I was afraid of because I was aware that that was going to be happening. So my fear was that that was going to be like, you know, um, distracting for me mm-hmm. because as as a filmmaker, I was I was concerned that I would try to spot the seams, you know, 
because I'm one of these people that, you know, when I watch rope, I love to know, because, like, you know, obviously a roll of 35-millimeter film is only going to give you 10 minutes. You have to cut. Right. So I love the way that uh, in rope they, they cover those things up. And so I have to admit, um, you know, I was just concerned that the gimmick would overshadow. Like, I, I, I didn't want to feel like Birdman didn't need that. You know what right. I mean? I didn't want to walk away going, like, damn, an awesome movie. If it wouldn't have been for that crap, couldn't they just laid off it? Because, you know, we're in the era of movies um, being shot like like Catherine Hepburn sitting in a helicopter. You know, they're just like these. Yeah, yeah and, and it's going to be looked back on. Back on It's like the era of, like, uh, found footage and fake documentary things where you have talented cinematographers and talented camera operators and competent lighting people that could do great-looking movies that will stand the test of time and stand shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with the classics, but won't because they got this stupid swaying back and forth during a dialogue scene sitting in a room. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 was, I was afraid that that would ruin it for me, but I actually loved it. And it added to that a dimension to the movie because it is such as a, like a, a manic head trip that um, I was sort of, you know, I, was, I enjoyed finding the spots where they cut. You know what I mean? Because, you know, as a camera operator, a digital camera, uh, which this movie definitely definitely is a movie yeah. of digital era, but not in a bad way, it shows what kind of innovation can be done with digital cinematography. Um, where you'll know when they do their cuts, um, just as someone who's used a camera, is areas where they would need to re-white balance the camera to actually stop camera and switch it for the next lighting setup that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's like whenever they go from a room that's dark into a room that's light, whenever they go for a room that's like tungsten light versus natural light, they have to stop there. They have to cut there. So usually a character in Birdman will go into a darkened doorway mm -hmm. and emerge somewhere else. That is where those, uh, that is where those cuts are. You know, and then of course the times you said where like pans up to the sky and there's an effect to show time uh, passing right. and stuff like that. But um, the uh, the shots that I found to be most like marvelous is uh, there's a part where he makes a uh, something smash up against a wall and he's in the room by himself. But then when they pan away from the wall smash, there's a whole row of journalists sitting there. Right. That shot. I thought about that shot for like an hour after I watched. <laughs> Because <laughs> if I don't know how they did something, and I'm not a professional, but you know, you kind of all cameras, digital cameras, kind of all work the same. Yeah. And uh, that was the one that I was just like, "Where's the cut? Is it, in, <laughs> is it, you know, is it in the effect? Is it in that? You know, because a lot of times they'll, you know, you'll hide a cut with like a, a you know, a flash of light sure. or a, a quick whipping pan. They did a couple of times where that was where their cut was to where right. it was seamless because things were just going so dizzying that you don't really notice there's a stop there. But that shot still, yeah, I'm still thinking about it. That that shot got me too because the camera doesn't stop. It pans from him, and then he's got the thing, and then he smashes, and then the camera just keeps moving, doesn't miss a beat, and suddenly there's reporters. And you're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's just it's a reminder of that cinema is illusion, yeah. and camera is sleight of hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, it goes back to the earliest days of film where they're doing trick photography and stuff. And sometimes it's just a matter of staging. Mm -hmm. You know, point the audience's attention here so you could do something else over here. That may well have all been in camera. Right. Definitely. Uh, Tony, what do you think about it being shot pretty much as one long take or a really series of long takes? Well, when I heard it was going to be shot to one continuous take, that was my worry. Because, you know, I was worried, like, maybe it'll be distracting because... For us moviegoers, we're used to just seeing like one take and then edit, another take, and then another take. But this one, it's 98% just one long take. 
but thank goodness it actually wasn't a distraction. In fact, it actually worked for the overall movie. I like how the camera just pans to the stage, to you literally in front of Michael Caine just walking, or Edward Norton walking, or when, or that funny moment when Michael Caine is on the big city in his underwear. So, yes. <laughs> so honestly, uh, not only was it something cool to see without being distracting, uh, without being distracting, but I thought it was very artistic how it was used. So I say it really worked perfectly for this movie. Uh, Paul, what about you, sir? The one take or the seamless uh, movement of the camera, what you, would you feel about that? I was actually caught off uh, off guard by it. I I did not know about it because I didn't. Sure. Uh, I I it was it was shocking to me, but I thoroughly <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and it it I think it helped with the pacing of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was constantly moving, 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 moving. And there were a few times it was like, hey, hey wait, I-, I wanted to follow that story. <laughs> uh, please come back, camera. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe in the DVDs. Maybe, maybe in the DVDs you have the alternate angle where you could follow someone else. That'd Choose be your own Birdman adventure. <laughs> you know what I also did like about the one take, though? I was going to say very quick. I like how it transitioned from Emma Stone and Michael Keaton watching that video of him in his underwear, and then once it pans out of the video, it's Michael Keaton at the bar. I like how oh, it did yeah. without cutting. Yeah, they, they did that well. Too and uh, that dirty uh, movie critic. The dirty movie. <laughs> She's a wonderful actress. I thought. Would, she was. Wouldn't you say, uh, Paul, that it is very notable? You don't realize how many cuts you see in a film until you get a movie like this that does the long take, or you know, or Children of Men that yeah. does these really long takes, and you're like, realize, wow, we do really get films where the scenes not in the modern film more than maybe five or ten seconds long. Well, yeah. if, you, if you watch George Lucas films, you know, he's got all yeah. those little wipes and this way, that way, this way, that way. <laughs> he, he uses the whole, he, he, he's got his, uh, you know, uh, Final Cut Pro and they want to use every single effect wipe. Exactly. <laughs> well, a lot of times it just speaks of a filmmaker or director or whatever that can't make up their mind and they've right. overshot and they've overcovered right. and then the editor feels compelled to use all that stylistically. Uh, a movie that that doesn't get credit for uh, a long shot that's actually like better than the entirety of the movie itself is a uh, House of a Thousand Corpses where there's an execution scene, uh, and it's this oh, shot okay. where uh, I think a policeman maybe is shot or a guy's yeah, father is yeah. shot or something yeah, like that. Character is shot on going out, out, out like impossibly long. Exactly, shot. and I was yeah. just like, it's it's no wonder then later the guy would go on to do an actually artistic movie, Lords of Salem, to me that far and away the best thing that Rob Zombie ever did. There was a, a that moment there in that movie. I was like, "No, wait a minute! There's a filmmaker here, yeah. you know, for a movie that was a kitchen sink jumble of whatever." I don't yeah. hate House of a Thousand, but he has made it has admitted that it's a, a very like sewn together, uh, you know, mishmash or whatever. Right. Um, that shot is wonderful. Mm-hmm. The thing about long shots, long shots, and long takes, and everything like that, and these long, long tracking shots. My buddy Austin Kennedy, who I've uh, done a number of projects with, he's like my He's like my partner in film crime. He's awesome. He loves this stuff. He loves these long tracking shots. And, he, of course, he was a big Brian De Palma fan because for a while, like back in, say, like 70s, 80s, 90s, the only one who was really doing these long shots was like Brian De Palma 
in these films like Snake Eyes. And oh, the, Snake all, Eyes and, is great, man. That yeah, shot. and all these shots. Yeah, it starts out like a 17-minute tracking shot or something like that, and it's beautiful. Now, since we've gotten to the digital age... More and more people are doing it because they can do more tricks with it. They can do, they can, the cameras are more mobile and everything like that. So we're seeing more and more of these long takes since we've kind of gone into the digital age with video and everything like that. The problem with it is, and this is what I was worried about with Birdman, and I, I'm with Paul. I did not know that this was going to be a long take, a continuous take when I went to see the movie. Uh, was that people do it mainly to show off a lot now? Mm-hmm. I've noticed. They, I mean, it, don't get me wrong. You're looking at it like, okay, I get it. Yeah, it's a terribly difficult thing to, to pull off, but I, I sometimes get the thing of, ooh, look at me. Went to film school. I can block a scene. I can block a scene. Yeah, good for you. It's, I'm, not, I'm not putting that down. It's very difficult, but why? Why did you do that? Was it just a show up? The great thing here is that it's not just a show off, and I think that the director, whose name I always mispronounce, uh, is is uh, is uh, oh, is is conscious of that and didn't want to do it just to show off because there's scenes where it's very obvious that it's a cut, that it's a um, that there's a cut there. Like for instance, I think there's a scene where uh, Emma Stone and Ed Norton are in the rafters, You're right? And it pans down to the stage where that now a re- one of the rehearsals is going into effect, and Ed Norton is on that stage. Yep. Yeah. People are inhabiting the same space, <laughs> uh, are, are inhabiting like different spaces and times and stuff. It's, not, it's kind of felt more like this psychological voyage through uh, Keaton, what Keaton's psyche, what he was perceiving and everything. And uh, I, I think it was done for purely artistic reasons, not technical show-off. And it was it was dead on. It was great. I feel like I have to mention the uh, there's another famous uh, one shot is a Copa scene in, in uh, Goodfellas. You know yeah. that, that long scene. Mm-hmm. That was actually they had to do that because they couldn't get in. They couldn't get permission to go in uh, the back place. They had to have the guy go all the way through the restaurant. That was just like because of mm-hmm. a screw up with the location. <laughs> That's why that shot's there. It was no like stylistic choice or whatever. It's because they were like that was they were forced by location to have to go through that way. Well, and you had Robert Altman use that in the fir- front of the player where they, they go meta and he mentioned the long tracking shots. You got Fred Ward yep. saying nobody does long shots anymore. Yeah, and he's um, talking about Touch of Evil, and the one guy says, absolute beginners. He says, I'm talking yeah. about American films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to realize like all the things that have to happen in sequence, otherwise the whole thing is blown. So well, anytime I see that stuff, oh, and yeah. the whole time I was watching Birdman, I'm thinking, dude, if one thing went wrong, you know? Actually, they said that. They said that in the interview in Entertainment Weekly, Michael Keaton said that crew and cast would apologize to each other if they made a mistake. Everybody was trying to stay on their game because they knew if they make a mistake, they're going to have to shoot like an 8- or 10-minute scene over again. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a freaking oh, hair to do. I'm just saying that. Yeah, the, and, uh, por- the porn movie boom operator was fired the first day. Was he? <laughs> I'm kidding. No. I was, it would not That's why I had to ask because it would not surprise me. It would be. He was fired the first in, in within one minute. <laughs> no, you're done. <laughs> what what got me with the long shot? I mean, I I love tracking shots like that. Long shots. I mean, Children of Men blew me away. You even get it in Gravity. You know, that's his style. What I loved about it in here is, if you think about the way this film would have been shot traditionally. 
I don't think it would have been as powerful as it was in the seamless take because by having that seamless take, you feel like you're always there. You are constantly with him. It's very intimate. It you, you know you're in the moment. You're not like cut away. Oh, we're in a week later or whatnot. You're always there. And I think it helped with the connection, and not only Michael Keaton's character, but with the other characters as well. You just, for me, it just felt more intimate, and you felt like you were there. It, it well, plus, it's yeah, it's intense. It's like a like movies are supposed to be in real time. Like a, like Run Little Run's a good example. Right. You know, it's like it keeps up that manic pace that you're in, so you're along with the ride for that person. It does put you right close to him because it doesn't let up for them. Life doesn't let up, the situation doesn't let up, so the movie doesn't let up either. Yeah, you, you see everything, whereas, you know, in traditional films, you might just see, well, we this happened, or you might get this in exposition. Here, we see everything. Now, actually, it's supposed to be over a span of, like, a week or two that this happens. You know, these are different events, but the way it's just all put together, it's it's just insane and amazing how they pulled it off, and uh, I I loved it. I think it added that extra level you wanted for that understanding of, especially Keaton's character, Plus, it kept you in the film all the time because you're like, oh, what am I going to see next? You know, <laughs> you know, it's like I don't want to leave because I'm going to probably miss a scene here. Uh, you know, so for me, I just loved that technology. You know, that, them taking the balls to do something like that, and it worked, and it worked well, especially with the the crew and and the cast that they had. So, I uh, definitely think that technology, uh, that the way they shot it wasn't a gimmick. It actually added to the added to the movie uh, a bit. Now, uh, one of the final things I wanted to talk about uh, tonight with the film is the okay. Are they taking digs at Hollywood at the blockbuster superhero films? Uh, Scott, why don't you go first? Uh, I just got that feel, especially when we had that first hour of the film where they were really taking some jabs at things. I don't think so. I think that it's it makes sense to think that, but mm-hmm. I think that what it was doing is it was acknowledging kind of a, in a bittersweet way that the entire landscape of uh, acting has changed where now everybody, even these great actors, are doing – are in comic book movies or in superhero movies because that's what's dominating – the landscape now, whereas like 20 years before, when Riggin was was playing Birdman, he was not taken seriously as an actor, even though the films were successful. He was not taken seriously, and now he finds himself still having to justify himself, while all the greatest actors are all in these damn movies. You know, <laughs> and they're all doing these movies. It, the movie says a lot about what forms of art. Are worthwhile because they, you know, they they thumb their nose. There's some people who thumb their nose at superhero movies that he was in, even though everybody else is now in them now. Uh, there's a lot of New York, New York people that are thumbing the, their nose that he's a Los Angeles actor. Uh, theater people that are thumbing their nose that he's a film actor. Ed Norton think he's he's a phony. He's not committed enough. When in fact, Ed Norton's character might be the most uncomfortably, self-consciously phony character of the whole bunch. <laughs> you know, I think it really, it, it, it kind of takes that whole idea of like, this art is good, this art is bad, 
Which is, of course, something I'm familiar with because I love B-movies and art house films. Sure. Uh, it takes that whole notion of this art's good, this art's bad, and it says, oh, fuck off. No, it's all good. <laughs> Just different, you know? And whatever is one, one person is crucified for doing now, uh, the next person is going to be celebrated for doing 20 years later. So <laughs> I, I don't... I think that it was... You could be left with that impression at the beginning, but I think ultimately that's what it was going for in this film, which I appreciate. Would you agree, Tony, about that? Is uh, you think that's what it's going for? Or did you get the feeling it was kind of a dig at Hollywood? Um, I have to agree with what Scott said. I don't think they're taking a jab of it. I think they just wanted to kind of make a point, but without kind of shoehorning it, kind of like with that seen with the movie critic where Michael Keane is saying how there are some movie critics out there or critics in general that oh. don't really talk about the structure. They just like to bash because they might hate a certain actor. I think this movie wanted to prove a lot of things. They wanted to show that uh, most people nowadays are more interested in blockbusters where it doesn't have much dialogue over these indie films. But of course, just to make a point once again, and it also makes a point about how being an actor can not necessarily affect, well, it can affect you, but it depends what kind of life you're living as an actor. So I really think in terms of all the blockbusters, you just want to make a point, not really take a jab at it. I feel sure. like that's the last thing the director Alejandro would want to do. Right. And actually, you bring up a good point. I, I really enjoyed how Michael Keaton approached that scene with the critic. Andrew, uh, is the director taking a jab instead at Hollywood, but maybe at critics? <laughs> He's just taking a jab at, at you know at the, the people that think they know better, you know, that, can, that, that can't do, so they criticize. You know? Sure. And, and uh, any, any artist on any level... Uh, working in anything has had that feeling, which is like, oh yeah, I suck at this. Well, let's see what you can do, you know. And he basically yeah. says that, and it's it's what uh and, and to me it's the truth. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, people that try to take things down because that's the only power they feel because they would love the rush of creativity, but they themselves uh, they doubt what they can do, you know, and they don't even try. And uh, th that scene was really, but to me, I just kept going back to Michael Keaton as an actual actor. Mm -hmm. And a guy with a career, and thinking about all the bad reviews that he's gotten for the things that he's done, and all the you know being raked over the coals as a talent. Like Scott was saying, it's true. When the news came out that he was going to play Batman, you know, you had a lot oh, yeah. of people that were just really wanting like a departure, a complete about face from Adam West, who's the people, the 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 guy that most people knew as Batman up until that point. And they're yeah, like, but, oh, we didn't want this to be corny. We wanted this to be Miller's The Dark Knight. And, now you're going to have Michael Keaton, what the hell, you know, Beetlejuice? <laughs> so uh, that was, to me, I just love that. I like the big middle finger up yours to people that want to criticize because, uh, you know, the truth is everyone thinks they're a critic now. It's all just like this armchair thing. And it's, yeah. uh, it's just like Tony was saying, they don't know what they're talking about. They, re they really don't. There's a lot of unprofessional people out there in the criticism game, and that's the problem. Is that that's why I think you'd hear uh, actors fr from Ed Norton to Philip to late Seymour, Philip Seymour Hoffman and everything were like saying like, "Oh my God, critics are the worst." They're not the worst. There's just a lot of really unprofessional people who just want to take things down and everything like that. Uh, I don't. I, I acknowledge I have taken. I have criticized films. They said, "Well, could you shoot that?" I'm like, "Well, no, probably not." 
I can't fix my plumbing either. I know when it's not working. <laughs> you know, but I mean, and I and, and and that's of course is is also like a double-edged thing that's meant to piss people off. Like, no, it's not plumbing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the idea being is that you know, a lot of people will just, without any thought, just like to say, oh, I can make a really clever pun if I trash this guy and if I just knock him down, and. Uh, that's uh, and that's awful because I think that it takes a lifetime to create. It takes a moment to destroy. Yeah. And that's the that's the horrible sin of it. Is, uh, here we are with the room full of critics, and we're talking. No, and, and plus, man, it's, 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 I'm not it's saying like, it does. I'm saying like you have yeah. to be you have to be on like yeah. a, you have to. And I'm not a professional. I don't get paid for this. Like you know, Andrew, I think is the only oh, one of us who actually has any kind of gig really that's like has monetary value of this. But we do it because we do love it. Yes. Uh, and that, but like for every one of somebody who does it because they love it, and hopefully it's good. I don't know. Uh, it's up to you to say. Um, there's like a million IMDb users. Yes. Or, ne oh, God. or Netflix or Netflix commenters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's gonna get the most? What's gonna get the most discussion? The most comments and the most clicks and the most. You know, right. It's gonna be it's, that it's, bad review. It's gonna be that like negative person. The age of Stark. Paul, would you say that that scene that Michael Keaton had is kind of them uh, definitely putting their kind of finger in the air at those snarky folks who just want to cut things down to cut things down, which really is a trend nowadays. I mean, we also got that scene with them with the YouTube hits. I mean, do you think they were trying to make a statement about that? I think they were, but I think they wanted to... Uh, I actually took the entire movie one step above that. Mm -hmm. And all about relevance. Uh, there was a big scene about relevance and becoming relevant. I thought uh, the Regan character tried to become relevant in the modern time based on his past. His daughter was trying to become relevant as is as, as his daughter trying to get in his life. You got Zach's character. Um, you've got the critic talking about, you know, relevancy of her being a, like a critic, and then you had Michael Keaton kind of bashing her down, and you had the actress, uh, Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts, yeah. Yeah, uh, who wanted to uh, be a Broadway star. You know, that was her relevance. Uh, and then there was just this one or two scenes where you had Clark Middleton. He played a guy named Sidney. Oh, yeah. He, he's just this, like, short guy. And I felt like this... <laughs> This is this is what the movie is. We're all that that guy trying. He's he's like in the movie, but you just barely notice him. He's he's there and he pops up and he has a few lines and and I thought that was that was the world, you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, we're we, all this stuff is happening around us and we're trying to be relevant, but everyone looks at us as small people. It's just, right. And that's mm. what I that's what I thought this whole movie was was really getting at to me, wow. anyways. That's that's deep there, sir. That is a fantastic observation. That is. I, I never yeah. even caught that. I mean, I caught the character, but I never thought of it like that. That's really good. And actually, you know, they do take that scene further because uh, in the background, you get that news clip where they're talking about Regan in his underwear, oh, and, they're, and they're making fun of him. He's a joke, you know, and... He, it, it's just it was that extra added bit of snark of of you know the culture that is out there right now for well like Andrew said I mean everybody's a critic and with the internet everybody has a voice of being a critic but a lot of folks out there do just hate on a film or on a play just to hate on it right. and there are people out there who haven't even seen it but they see who's in it 
and they see the other comments, and they want some hits as well. And yeah, it's true. A bad review will get more hits than a good review. Uh, in general, so well, nobody's gonna I've watch had, this. I've had uh, I've had critics tell me they <laughs> nobody's enjoy, gonna watch this. Yeah, they enjoy writing a bad review more than they enjoy writing a good one. It's easier for them. I've had critics tell me that. Really? Yeah, more and than I one person. And I hate writing bad reviews. I ha- I mean, I've done it, and I can get downright mean, but I hate writing them because I know like. Okay, I'm taking this to task, and I gotta be honest. I didn't like this. This didn't work. This didn't work. This didn't work. And I'll be, you know, I'll take stuff down. But I'm also like, Christ! Some people spent years of their lives on this, and well, their they, money too. Know? And their money. Yeah. Too. Well, the whole scene though with Keaton and the critic though actually is about that because um, here she was just saying, oh, I'm gonna write a review, you know, and and it's gonna bomb, you know, without even seeing the play. Right. And, you know, yeah. and, and she's just doing it to for her to stay relevant. I think, in a way, you, you know, because she has that reputation of just slamming people down in their reviews uh, and and not being constructive about it. And and I think that was a statement as well about the people who say, "Oh, this sucks." Well, why does it suck? Well, it just sucks. I hated it. You know, well, it's like no, you've got you know, creative power. I've got this, you know, lame power. Right. right you know, he mentioned about the, the labels, and it's true because you get a lot of people out there who just will throw a label on something because it's easier than sitting there and going, "Well, I didn't like this scene because the tracking shot in there was a little bit shaky." No, they just say, "Oh, this movie sucked. Camera work was awful." Well, well, why? Yeah. You, you know, they, they don't want to go in the why. They give it a label because it's an easy hit. It's an easy read. It's a you can sum it up in 140 characters. You know, right. and exactly and this film is not 140 characters. Not only that, but it just comes off as being extremely lazy. Like, why would right. you even do that? Yeah. Right. Then why even write the review? Yeah. You know, uh, if you're not going to do that. So I, I love that scene with Keaton. And the the statement they made on uh you know on critics and that I think uh, that was just really well done and I want to know how they did the special effects in this film I, I mean some of them the parts where he was flying it didn't there was just a couple shots in there that looked a little bit bad but when he was it's all one shot and he's moving stuff with his mind <laughs> that blew me away <laughs> you know? it was really well done it was seamless yeah. The special effects. Well, then, and he's walking on the road, the street, and then he have Birdman suddenly appear up behind him, and Birdman's flying. I mean, uh, the special effects. Uh, Andrew, what do you think about those special effects? The way they worked that into the seamlessness of the movie. Well, you know, my my feeling on special effects is the less you use them, the more powerful they are. Sure. And the more impressive they are. Mm-hmm. And um, that you know, Birdman, just one of the many things it gets right is it chooses the right moments. To use a special effect, and I remember seeing the trailer, and when they were just even in the trailer, when you see a special effect, you're like, "Oh, damn!" You know, yeah. and it's you know, some of it was no different than what would be in a Transformer movie. Right. In a Transformer movie, they're just doing it from the get-go, and that's the whole the mo of the project. And pretty soon, mm-hmm. you're just like, you know, God, I've been eating this whole bag of chips. These Doritos mean nothing to me now. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing is, I think they did time it just right for the one big special effects shot in this film, oh, the the Michael Bay moment I called it. The minute I saw it, I'm like, oh, we're having a Michael Bay moment. It's more like a Hancock moment. More, yeah. more than a Hancock moment, yeah. But it they didn't do that right away, and you know that it was in his mind and how he was imagining it. But if they did that earlier in the film, I think it'd take away from the film and people be focused on that. But that doesn't really show up till near the end of the film when he's 
getting his revelations or whatever. And I love that they used it there because, like, yeah, like you said, Andrew, they used just the right at the right times. They used the special effects, either when he's throwing things with his mind, or you know, when he's imagining a big, huge blockbuster, you know, robotic bird attacking a building. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you know, this film just blows me away uh, in so many aspects, and and I know. Uh, there are other films at the end of the year, but I, I just why don't we sum up and get our final thoughts on Birdman for the evening? Uh, Paul, why don't you go first? Uh, your final thoughts about this film? Uh, do you think it's going to eat up the award season, or or do you think it may get nominated, but people are just going to say, nah, not that good enough? I think it depends on uh, basically if people people remember it at the time that they make their decisions. That seems to always be what what happens, which is sad because some great movies get missed. Um, this is definitely going to be in my top five of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope it does win because I think there was some great acting. The music we didn't talk about the music, but oh, yeah. uh, Antonio D or is it Antoni, Antonio Sanchez? Sanchez. Yeah. Sanchez. yeah. 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 It, I mean, you had you had the the drum work, and then then you had like this jazzy type of thing, and then it would go into like orchestral, and, and then it was it would just show the drummer playing, which was and it showed the drummer playing. Yeah, it was yeah. fantastic. I I love that, and actually, this film has been compared to a jazz piece, and when you hear that soundtrack, it fits so perfectly because it is a bit like a jazz piece. I mean, I I was in jazz band for a while, and I'm I, I haven't played in ages. But that free throw, excuse me, the free flow of thought that goes into uh, jazz solos, this film reminded me of that. Yeah, the movie it, Swings, it's kind of unique. It swings. It's like, <laughs> it swings, baby. It, it yeah. does, it, it, it reminded me of that free, it does. free-flowing thought or sound or idea that comes from a jazz person when they're doing a solo. And so when they used that music, they used it at the right moments, and it was fitting because that's what this film felt like to me was a jazz piece almost. So, yeah, excellent uh, mention there, Paul, with the music. Uh, and, Andrew, what about you, sir? Uh, final thoughts on Birdman? you think it, it'll actually win something, or is this going to be the film that uh, gets nominated, but then they put it by the wayside? Uh, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't get any nominations at all, you know, or just really? completely, completely overlooked. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, I just... Trust me, man, I have done for the last, I don't know how many years, uh, for the newspaper, I'm supposed to do, the way they set it up for Oscars, like, I got to do, like, who I think the Oscar will go to versus who I think should get it, you know? Oh, so I'm always having to be in that kind of mindset. And, you know, inevitably, it's always, like, the weirder movies that I love that don't really end up getting a whole lot of recognition. And, you know, a lot of times the ones that get the biggest buzz for, like, oh, this is going to get awards, it's because the critics are swept up in how, how great it is. Those aren't the people that are, you know, picking this, the, the movies that get an Oscar nomination. So my headline was it was the movie to beat for Best Picture. Sure. And even if it doesn't get that far... Um, that's just my opinion because Birdman is a movie of the 21st century. You know, when you're when you're a kid and you think about the future and you're just like 2000s, whatever, whatever. You know, you, know, you look at like The Matrix or something like that, and you're like, right, that was a movie of that time. That was what the future. When you think about 1999, when you're kids, like that's a movie. That's a freaking crazy. Like people show you a clip of it. You know, yeah. but even in 2000, or uh, you know, if we'd seen a clip of Birdman for 2014, we'd have been like, holy 
fuck. <laughs> that's movies of 2014. That's what should be happening. They're pushing technology without putting keeping the focus on technology. They're not obsessed right. with the technical aspects of it. It's still um, the it's still story and character, the basis mm-hmm. of all great cinema. And I think that um, all the rest is used to serve that. And not the other way around. So I, I just I consider Birdman to be a movie of the future and a definite triumph. I, it deserves to get recognition, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if it uh, it was skipped over or the over the safer, more understandable fare from the Academy. That's that they're still still voting for the same type of movies year in and year out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. T- Tony, what about you, sir? Uh, final thoughts on Birdman, and and you think it's going to get uh, awards this season? Well, Birdman, I definitely think it's a fantastic movie. It's by far one of my favorites of the year. You know what um, Paul mentioned about the whole soundtrack just being nothing but drums. You know, it didn't have guitars or anything like that. It was just all drums, and it worked so well, so beautifully. You know, performances are great. The special effects, when it's there, it's really great. And I don't think it's really meant to be anything breathtaking. I think the visual effects are just there for storyline purposes. So I thought the, sto- the special effects were good there too. And the cinematography looks gorgeous. The continuous shot is great. You could tell there was a lot of hard work and effort into this. So I definitely think during award season it will get a lot of attention. And I hope it does win some awards because it deserves it. I mean, movie making, even if the movie is terrible, you know, it's still a lot of hard work and effort to put into so I don't want to say, oh, Birdman should win all over these other movies because I would feel mean doing that. But I do think that it should get at least uh, get nominated and be recognized for what it is. So that way for those that don't know about this movie right now, they will know what it is once award season kicks in. So overall, I love Birdman. Awesome. And uh, uh, Scott, your final thoughts, and uh, you think Birdman may get nominated or uh, actually it win might, anything? <laughs> it might get nominated. I would love to see it win. I don't know if it will. Right. Um, we, I, I think that there are a lot more films out there that play more like the typical movie that gets nominated. I saw The Theory of Everything yesterday. It's <laughs> a great movie. And I didn't want to be cynical to say that it's pure Oscar bait, but it is pure Oscar bait. It also <laughs> happens to be a really good movie, so go see it. But, um, but yeah, I think Theory of Everything also, we have yet to see Wild. Yeah. We have yet to see Unbroken. I, have, I think those things are going to be in there. I think Richard Linklater's Boyhood is going to be in there. Yeah. So yeah, if, it makes, if it gets anything, it's going to have a tough climb. The nice thing about them it, we always talk about the oscars because that's like the end all be all it's nice to look at these other awards shows because i'm thinking the nice thing is is that fortunately at the indie spirits it'll just be fighting against boyhood that's yeah <laughs> <laughs> and personally you know no matter how long it took them to do boyhood personally i much prefer birdman so Dude, that's just boy, my, that's boy, just for still a, okay I mean, it's it's good, but man, you want to talk about a gimmick? Yeah, well, that's that, that's the yeah. that's yeah. the feeling. Uh, I thought yeah. that's the feeling I had uh, on it was that it was it was a gimmicky, um, you know, I, I'm solid film, but it was all right, touching, yeah, but it was still the main gimmick was oh, we filmed this over twelve. 
you know, 10 years or 12 years. And, and yeah, it felt big. like 12 short, and it felt, felt like 12 really good short films. Yeah. And then, uh, plus, man, it's like you couldn't make a movie about a woman. You had to make 12 movies about a same dude. <laughs> a, a girl would have definitely been a breaking out of the norm, and uh, yeah. uh, maybe that'll be the sequel, Girlhood, or yeah. whatever. I think uh, I saw that one time. <laughs> And Paul, yes, uh, I agree. Uh, Edward Norton's Raging Hard On in the movie will probably get its own nomination. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to see how it carries the statue when it wins, though. So, <laughs> for me, um, Birdman definitely uh, probably going to be my favorite of the film uh, of the year that I'm going to get a chance to see. Uh, so it's probably going to be at the top of my list. I, I love films that take chances and that actually get recognition for taking chances. Uh, this will be a film that will get nominated but probably won't win anything. And, and um, if it does, I, I hope it does. Don't get me wrong. I hope it does. Yeah, but I like really think about I, uh, her I from last year. Words. I would yeah, love to it's true. There was, there was her. And her surprised me. You know? But it barely got anything, and that was the raddest movie. Yeah, and, and so... I think the thing, though, that I think with Birdman, outside of the ones that say it doesn't get nominated, I think the other films from this year in that category, Birdman's going to stick out a lot longer, and people will be talking about it a lot more, and it's going to have a lot more longevity than a number of these other films that are really solid films but truly do look like Oscar bait, whereas this one looks... It just didn't feel like it. I mean, everybody was in it. It felt like a... You know what? It, it felt to me like almost like a stage play. It, it felt like yeah. you were watching a, a movie version of a stage play. Uh, you know, for, a fathom for event. It. Huh? A fathom event. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, the, the way it uh, played out. So for me, I, I really I fell in love with this film. I, I tried to avoid the hype, and it was it was more than I expected in a good way. Keaton. Uh, Keaton's got to get nominated at least for for what he plays in here. He does a, such a range of emotions in this film, and it's crazy because it's subtle. Not all of what he's feeling is really prevalent and emphasized, but you can see there's inner turmoil there. You can see there's inner battling in there just with the little nuances and things he does. But uh, And that's what I love about his performance on this is – just uh, everything, and everybody does so well. You can tell everybody's trying because they're doing it in such long takes. Nobody wants to screw it up <laughs> because then they'll have to redo the whole scene. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a subtle technological marvel, I think, to where you look at it and it seems like it was a simple film. Yet, what had to be to go in to make this film had to be insane. Uh, and I give them total props. And so for me, yeah, Birdman probably going to be my best of the year, and I hope it wins something, but it's probably going to be that odd film that people nominate for the heck of it, but it's not going to win. So, uh, Thank you, guys. I want to thank you all for joining me tonight, for talking about this really unique, unusual film that keeps getting more and more screens each week, uh, You know, which is good. I hope more people come to see it than the two old couples that were sitting with in the theater <laughs> with me uh, to see Birdman, because I... If people want an example, they, they they came for they came for the hard on. They did. They <laughs> came for the I, I, I'm gonna say that if you ever want an example of a, a modern film that actually 
is is trying to make a, a really good film and trying to do something that, and doing it not only as an art form but tell a great story and just great Birdman is it for me. Uh, so and I, I really want hope more people go out and see it and have discussions like we did tonight. So because uh, it really deserves it more so than uh, you know them trying to tailor and get. Uh, Transformers 4 to be nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> my, my, it, you know what? You get ten, here, Academy. Listen to us right now. Here at the spoiler room, I'm gonna s- fuck you if you drop Birdman from your <laughs> ten Best Picture list. Ten pictures. If you don't put Birdman on your one of your Best Picture nomination lists, and you put Transformers 4 there. You can go melt that that statue and shove it up your ass, okay? There's, there's, they're never gonna do it. I, you know what? I just kept on as soon as Andrew said it. I just thought he, just, Andrew, probably inexplicably said the perfect thing for Michael Bay to say to Michael Bay, which is, "Your potato chips mean nothing to me now." <laughs> when he said that, I was like. That's like the perfect thing to say to Michael Bay. Your potato chips should be nothing. Nice, nice, man. I mean, I wouldn't nominate Transformer as a Happy Meal toy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I realize I pre- that's going to get all the comments now. The yeah. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I Hello, YouTube. <laughs> thank you guys for taking the time tonight. Uh, Andrew, why don't you tell everyone where they can find your stuff, sir? In a normal voice this time, so as not to... Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, if you if you uh, if you enjoy renting low budget movies on Amazon on demand, uh, my films Fake Blood and uh, Mondo Gonzo and Pajama Nightmare are available for rental or purchase very very cheap. So that's the thing to do. There you go. Well, the fuckers. And Paul, sir. ForsakenFilmReviews.wordpress.com. Awesome. And uh, Mr. Moviocrity, go. It's just what you said. Moviocrity.com. M O V I. I'm not going to freaking spell it. But it's at (laughs) (laughs) Moviocrity.com. And it's got all all the reviews I write whenever I'm uh, uh, someone's nice enough to say, yeah, I come on a show like this. I put that up there too. Um, it's got everything from exploitation to current films to art house to, well, it's going to be like basically whatever I feel like writing about. So, <laughs> moviocrity.com, yeah. And Tiger Dude, tell us where we can find your tiger power at. I'm Birdman. You're Birdman? <laughs> oh, no. You can have bird power too? Birdman. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I will not be laughing like I did. And the holiday spoiler <laughs> I'm in control, but you can find me at youtube.com slash 22tigerdude, facebook.com slash 22tigerdude, twitter.com uh, at tigerdude22, and Instagram at 22tigerdude. Awesome. You get through all that. Awesome. And uh, you can find our stuff at Special Mark Productions, where you can find the links, of course, to all these fine folks. And where you can find our podcast there. You can find the archive. Uh, or you can go on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. We are there. Uh, nearly half of the episodes we've done now for the Spoiler Room, over half the episodes for the Spoiler Room, are on iTunes. So check us out there or go to Special Mark Productions where you can see my reviews from the final cut. Uh, there's a playlist for my Wheel of Film work. 
as well as uh, just a few other bits as well. So thank you everyone for listening tonight to our discussion of The Birdman. Hope it wet your whistle and gets you excited to go see this film if it's at a theater near you. I highly recommend it to all film fans. And remember, with the spoiler room, uh, the films are definitely spoiled, but our conversation is always fresh. 